Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? You made it through the snow. We dodged the bullet again. Hallelujah. I sense some people were not too happy about that. Now listen, you can have all the snow you want tomorrow. If you like snow, who likes snow here? Most of the time people who raise their hands and say like snow are the ones that don't have to clean it. So let's make a deal, okay? You, you want snow. Uh, I, won't block your, I won't block your desire of your heart. So let's get an agreement. If you like snow, it's going to snow anytime after 2 o'clock on Sunday afternoon until Tuesday night. Then it could snow anytime after midnight on Wednesday night until Thursday night. Well, I'll give you Friday night. So that Saturday night doesn't get affected. Sunday morning services don't get affected. Amen? Amen. Is that okay? Yes. Good. So let's, let's all be in agreement that any snow we're going to get, if we get any the rest of the year, if it was up to me, this is all the snow we're going to get. I'm going to make a lot of friends today. <clears throat> that it snows within those time frames. So you can enjoy it. The work can get preached. People can get born again, people can get healed, people can get delivered, people can get strengthened, and they can grow in the Word. Amen? Amen. So it does not interfere. Yeah, hallelujah. All right. So, we are in the final part of this series, New Year, New You, part three. The theme that we've been following for the past three weeks is the subject of consecration. Consecration is a very spiritual-sounding word, a very religiously-sounding word. It sounds very holy. It sounds, it sounds complicated to some people. But basically, consecration is just this. Ask yourself the question, who is the Lord over your life? Consecration is when we dedicate ourselves, commit ourselves unto the ways of God, unto God Almighty himself, Submitting ourselves to his ways, submitting ourselves to his word, his boundaries, his guidelines, his principles, it's basically living a life where we're very much aware of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us, how he suffered on the cross, not, not, to, not to bring a sense of guilt, but a sense of awareness, because when we have an awareness of what Jesus endured to bring us to a place where that you and I can come back into relationship with God the Father Almighty, that will keep us and almost form a very strong bond between us and God where we will not want to think anything, say anything, or do anything that's going to go contrary to the will of God. Why? Jesus died to set us free from things that many of us have tolerated through the years. If he died on the cross to set us free from a specific way of thinking, a specific way of speaking, a specific way of conducting ourselves, why then would we want to reassociate ourselves with conduct that he had to die to set us free from? 
Does that make any sense? You would think that we would want to distance ourselves as much as possible. So we're taking this opportunity in the very beginning of this year, 2019, to reacquaint ourselves with this idea of consecration, of dedication, of commitment. And what we're, what we're realizing, and I don't know about you, but I know I've been kind of going through this myself because you see, before I could come here and preach something, God usually deals with me in my own life first. Because if I came up here to preach something that I'm just preaching out of a book, or even if it's the Bible, just preaching a section of scripture, and I have not yet let that thing affect my life, I disqualify myself in preaching it. Are you catching this? That's called hypocrisy. All right? And and I want to distance myself from that as much as possible. So, So way back, probably in August or September, I started hearing that word consecration, and the Lord started dealing with things with me personally things that maybe had slipped out from under his influence and now have taken a life of their own on. And that's dangerous, okay? We want to make sure that everything in in our lives, as much as we are possibly aware of. Now, there's always going to be things that you're not just aware of. Okay, anybody anybody ever ever find yourself uh, conducting yourself a certain way and, and it surprised you? Like, wow, I didn't even think I had that in me anymore. I guess I'm the only one. Maybe you guys can learn from my, my example. And so, so, so sometimes you think to yourself, wow, I didn't even think, I, I, I wasn't even aware that I was thinking that way anymore. I wasn't even aware that those kind of words are coming out of my mouth. I wasn't even aware that I was conducting myself that way because sometimes things, uh, they're very subtle. Changes happen very subtly in our lives. And all of a sudden, you, you know, the Holy Spirit shows you and draws your attention to something and say, whoa, I didn't even realize I was doing that again. I didn't realize I was thinking that way again because you see, what we're going to find out um, hopefully we're going to find out when we, as we go through some scriptures, I hope I get to that point today, is that everything that you and I deal with in life that, that are going to, is going to um, influence us always starts with the mind first. Everything starts with a thought. Are you understanding what I'm, what I'm saying here? So um, I want to make sure that I cover the material that we need to wrap up this portion of the series today. So I'm going to ask you, please, to allow me to skip over some things that I normally would review. If you have not been here the past couple of weeks, please make sure that you go online, go on our website, go to the media page, click on, you can watch the services from last Sunday and the service from the Sunday before and get caught up on it. But let's just go through some some definitions here. Consecration is the act of dedicating something or someone for special use, and usually It is associated with and pertains to our dedicating ourselves, consecrating ourselves unto the will of God and unto the ways of God. Romans chapter 12 in the Passion paraphrase, the Apostle Paul wrote this message to the church in Rome. Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? Now, what would you classify as God's marvelous mercies? I would classify God's marvelous mercy as coming to the earth in the form of Jesus, limiting himself to a flesh and blood and bone body, putting aside his divine nature, coming to the earth, born into the earth just like you and I. However, having an assignment on his life to reveal the Father to us, but to also go to the cross and pay for our sins. When we understand, even as I started out today, what it costs Jesus to bring us to the place of being in relationship with God. That is 
God's marvelous mercy. So Paul's saying, when you're aware of these things, what should our response be? Because every time God reveals something to us, every time God challenges us, every time we receive light into the word of God, there needs to be a response, yes or no? So he's saying, well, how should we respond to this? Do we just keep go on living the way we're living, oblivious to the fact that Christ suffered and died, shed his blood on the earth so that we could come into this relationship with him? He goes on to say, I encourage you to surrender yourselves to, be, to God to be his sacred living sacrifices. God wants living sacrifices. God does not want dead sacrifices. God, does not want, God doesn't want us to get into this habit of coming to church or, or however you're interacting with God and just say, okay, listen, um, as, long as, I, as long as I pay my tithe, as long as I give big offerings, that should be enough. No, it's not enough. God doesn't need your money. God could do anything he wants with anything on this earth. Jesus fed 15,000 people with a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread. He wants our heart. He wants our, 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 our inner being. He wants us connected to him, committed to him, consecrated to him, so that he can then live through us. He's not looking for slaves. He's looking for children. He's looking for sons and daughters that have an appreciation for him. Amen? So God's faithful. We know that. We know that he's going to work these things in us. As long as we're willing to, to participate with him, as long as we're willing to cooperate, how do we cooperate with God? We allow him to work in us. We don't resist him. When, when God, by his Holy Spirit, begins to speak to our hearts, begins to reveal things to us, begins to show us things in our lives. Like, like you know, the Holy Spirit will shine the light sometimes and say, hey, 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 Joe, open your eyes. Start seeing what you're doing. Start seeing what you're entertaining. Start, start being aware of what you're allowing to come into your life, what you're allowing your, your mind to think about, what you're allowing yourself to be influenced to. What we do at that point generally is we, we resist. We start to justify. We start to want to defend ourselves. We start getting very self-defensive instead of saying, Lord, you're right. And it's been part of our human nature since the beginning. When God came to confront Adam and Eve with sin, the very first thing they did, they didn't even wait for God to show up. They hid. They hid. And that curse has been on mankind ever since. It's something about when we get confronted with things. There's something about when, when even good-meaning people that love us want to confront things in our life. What do we do? We get defensive. Walls go up. God wants us to get to the place where we are so aware of his love and so aware that he wants nothing but the best for us, that when the spirit of God, and listen to me, if you don't have that kind of relationship where God can correct you, I would take some inventory if, if you even have a relationship with God. He's your father. He loves us. If there's anyone that we're going to receive correction from that's going to really benefit us, it's, it's him. But if you have deafened your ears to that voice, if you, when you're reading the word and all of a sudden you come across scripture in the word that is speaking to you and bringing correction to you and you decide you don't want to read the word anymore because you don't want to see that stuff, you are resisting the voice of God from bringing correction to you. God never brings correction to you for punishment. He always brings correction so that you will benefit from it. So we need to make sure that our hearts are tender towards him. We need to make sure that we're not, we're not resisting. We're not creating walls. We're not turning a deaf ear because he wants the best for us. Amen? 
So, we found out <clears throat> that there's a scripture in the book of Hebrews that just sets us free. Because you see, if you're not aware of the nature of God, you're not aware of the, if you're not aware of the will of God, you get into a performance mentality. You get into, I gotta do this right, I gotta do this right, I gotta do this right, I can't do that, I can't do that, I can't do that. And it becomes ritualistic, it becomes just a set of rules and regulations, and you are trying to do it in your own willpower. When you start forming a pattern in your mind of how you're gonna make sure that you do the right thing, you have gotten into religion. You are now gonna be so self-conscious, all the attention is gonna be on yourself, you are not gonna look to God to do it, you're gonna look to you to do it, but there is a verse in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, that it completely, will completely set us free. Let's, go, let's look at it. Hebrews 10, 14, it's talking about Jesus, for by one offering, that's talking about the crucifixion, that's talking about when Jesus went to the cross, allowed, allowed himself to be crucified, allowed himself to suffer, allowed his body to be completely mutilated, saying by that offering, he, Jesus, has, watch this now, perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Now, if you're not careful with this, and if you don't understand the context, and if you don't understand the nature of God, you get like, well, wait a second, am I perfect or am I being sanctified? Which one is it? There's one part of this verse says I'm perfected forever. The other one says that I'm still being worked on. And the answer is yes. It pertains to two different parts of our nature. Now, again, let's put it into context. You have been created in the image and likeness of God, yes? yes. God exists as God the? Father. Come on, we're going to review this again. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Tripart in nature, yes? Figure it out. Pastor, explain it to me. I can't. When we get to heaven, we'll let him explain it, okay? But we know that God exists in the form of the Trinity, okay? Tripart in nature. So now, if God created you and I in his image and in his likeness, then there should be something tripart about our nature, yes? And it is. We revealed in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You don't have to go there. I want to say in the scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says that the God of peace himself will sanctify, same word like consecrate, set you apart, dedicate you, spirit, soul, and body that we would be preserved blameless until we're presented to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see there that the scriptures confirm, okay? We, we are spirit. The real person that you are is the spirit that's inside you. We possess the soul. That's our mind, our will, our emotions, right? The place where you make decisions, the place where you, your personality is formed, and they live in a body, okay? <clears throat> so knowing that, Watch this now. For by one offering has perfected forever my spirit. That's his business to do. I can't do it. I can't perfect my spirit. He perfects my spirit. When Jesus died on the cross and that blood was shed, when you came to the place of faith in your life that you said, Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that, that, that you died on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe that God raised you from the dead. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Come into my life. Man, your spirit becomes perfected instantaneously. Instant, because that is a work of faith. Yes or no? How were you saved? Through what? Well, grace by faith, okay? That pertains to your spirit. However, I don't just have a spirit. I have a soul. That soul is made up of everything I've been exposed to from the moment that I can remember the environment that you were raised in, the traditions you were raised by, the type of family you were raised in, maybe the culture that you were raised in. Your soul is going to, be, going to reflect 
all of those things. But thank God your soul can be transformed. Yes? Your soul can be renewed. Yes? Good. That's the part that's being sanctified. So my spirit in the eyes of God, when he sees me, he sees my spirit as perfected because of what Jesus did. Okay? But my soul now is in the process of being sanctified. It's in the process of more and more being consecrated. And God is working with us to perform that. Okay? Unless you resist him. Unless you resist him. But thank God we're not going to resist him, right? We're going to let him work in us? Because we want to live a life that's consecrated unto him. Okay? I'm going to show you some reasons why it is beneficial for that. So, this relationship that we are in with God Almighty is really about who is Lord over my life. Who is the one that's calling the shots? Have we come to the place where in our soul we recognize that it is beneficial for us to live for God, there's blessings involved, there's peace of mind, there's health and healing, there's prosperity, there's everything good about life when we're going to serve God, okay? So, so, So then the process here is how do we get our souls more and more to line up with God, to be submitted to God, because a kingdom cannot operate without submission. I'll explain it to you. I've been a a history student from probably elementary school. My My favorite subject to study, my favorite type of programs to watch, my favorite topics of discussion are usually always going to revert back to history. It's just something about, I don't know what it is, it intrigues me. And so my particular area of where I'm really interested in has always been like ancient history, European history. Europe, Middle East, these types of things. So you can't really study that part of history without coming across kings, princes, queens, nobility, lords, these type of things. Anybody here history students? Anybody here, you like your history buff? You like those things, right? Good. Now, the kingdom of God was the example for these kingdoms. Ideally, these kings and queens, princes, so forth, are supposed to take their lead from what is revealed to us in the scriptures as a king, okay? Now, most of the time, TV programs, miniseries, books, usually present the negative side of the monarchy, of a monarchy, okay? But the fact is, all throughout history, there have been some really good kings and queens and princes and people in nobility. There have been. And those are the ones that are following the scriptures especially if you look at the kings of Israel. There were some kings of Israel. We have the tendency to always look at the evil ones, but there were some that were very good. They really served their people. Their heart was not only to please God, their heart was to be an instrument of God to make sure that the subjects of the kingdom were provided for, that they were protected, that they prospered, that they thrived. They weren't always oppressive. And so in that scenario where you have a good king, the people are going to be blessed the people are going to rejoice when someone godly is in power, yes? Now, that kingdom 
cannot operate without submission. No kingdom can operate without submission. Now, submission is a word that gets a negative connotation to it. And biblically speaking, all that submission means is that you recognize what part you play, and then you rank yourself under into that place of authority. You recognize this is my station, this is the part that I'm to play in this kingdom. I am going to willingly and willfully submit myself and rank myself under the authority that I have been placed in. You got it? It's very much how we operate as Christians. Jesus died on the cross to bring us to a place that we could stand before the Father without any sense of guilt or condemnation. That's the position of righteousness, okay? And so in order for you to operate and to have peace of mind, to experience the blessings of God, you rank yourself and you say, okay, it's, and, and I can't go into this, but some other time I'll teach it again. I've taught in the past. There's God, there's us, and then there's the enemy of God. I'm talking about as a Christian. You have been placed in a position of authority. We are just under God Almighty, but we are over all of the spirits of darkness and the kingdom of darkness is under your feet. Now, the devil has done his best all throughout the centuries to switch it around and to make you think that you are the one that's subservient to him. No, 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 no. We are, little, we are the little lords in the title that's been given to the Lord God Almighty and to Jesus himself, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. If he is the King of Kings, then there has to be some kings underneath the king. If he is the Lord of Lords, then there has to be some lords, little l, little lords, under the Lord. Yes or not? Okay, good. So the problem comes when an individual who at one time in their life was very content to rank themselves under God, in that place of authority, over the enemy, but under God, submitted to him. And all of a sudden, for some reason, an influence, an outside influence comes in, and they are no longer content to keep everything that their life is about under the influence and under the rulership of their Lord. And little by little, areas of life start slipping out from underneath there. Now you have a problem because you're no longer in submission. And when a person is no longer in submission, they are in what? Rebellion. Rebellion. And we see all throughout the Bible that individuals that entertain the rebellious attitude do not enjoy the blessings of the kingdom that they're in. Are you following me? Consecration is going to require submission. But listen, unlike natural kings on the earth, a natural king on the earth, when a rebellion would rise up, the king would order his soldiers to go and separate the head from the shoulders of those who were entertaining rebellion. Rebellions are crushed. They're either executed or they're in prison. Sometimes their properties would be confiscated. Sometimes entire families and multiple generations would suffer for the decision of one rebel. When Adam and Eve sinned, they took themselves out from under the submission that they previously were in under God because they began to entertain thoughts from the enemy. They began to entertain that God 
may have been withholding something from them that they could benefit from. And it was enough of an influence, and they entertained it enough, that it caused them to come to the conclusion, we need to pull our loyalty out from God and to place it in this other outside voice that's been speaking to us. And that has been the curse that has followed mankind because of that original act of rebellion. Every single one of us have to be redeemed out from under that influence that we always assume that God doesn't want our best, doesn't have our best interests at heart, that he is trying to withhold something from us, he's trying to take something from us, he's trying to deny an experience from us that really would be better for us. And the exact opposite is what is truth. But just like in the natural, that rebellion needed to be punished, the same happens in the spirit. However, it is not God's will that you and I suffer the punishment for rebellion. He took the punishment that you and I deserved and he placed it upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the basic bottom line, foundational truth of the gospel. That this king, this wonderful, loving, almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful, merciful king had to deal with this rebellion but chose to take the punishment of the rebellion upon himself and that whoever would place their faith and their trust in that fact that Jesus Christ took the punishment for rebellion upon himself, those people enjoy the blessings and the benefits of the kingdom. And so our souls then need to be renewed, need to be transformed to think along those lines that we would be content to rank ourselves under God Trusting and knowing that he's got our best interests at heart. Consecration is nothing more than you and I, on a regular basis, training ourselves, training our souls to respond to life, to respond to challenges, to respond to temptation with this thought process. A temptation presents itself. Something that you either want or want to experience or something that you want to possess because it's going to make you feel better or do better. It could be a relationship. It could be material things. It could be a position. It could be a career. It could be any of these things. The temptation presents itself. And you and your mind. If your mind goes into the mode of, I really want to do this. I really want to have this. I really want to experience this. Now, I know the word of God tells me that it's not God's will for me to experience these things, but in my human nature, in my unrenewed mind, I still want to experience these things that really belong to the kingdom of darkness. They do not belong to the kingdom of God. So now I start processing in my mind, yeah, I could probably go ahead and do this, and then I could go ask God to forgive me, and because my sins are already forgiven, it really doesn't matter And so you start processing your mind and you put a lesser value on what God thinks and a lesser value on what the word says and a lesser value, you don't even start thinking about the consequences because your mind is thinking about, I want this, I want to experience this, I want to feel this, all this other stuff. And then you make the decision to get involved in sin. Consecration is this. You get hit with the same temptation. 
You, you, you're, you begin to crave. That's what lust is really about. You begin to crave that experience, crave that feeling, crave that, that thing, whatever it is, if it's a material thing, but your mind automatically goes into, this is the kind of stuff I used to do, I used to want, I used to have. But Jesus died on the cross for me. He, he a real person, with a real body, with real ability to experience pain, allowed himself to be mistreated, to be tortured, to be crucified, allowed his blood to to pour out from his body onto the earth in agony. He went through that for me. I, I can't do it. I can't go after that thing. I can't allow myself to experience that feeling. I can't go into that thing because it would dishonor everything that Christ did on my behalf. That is consecration. Consecration is never a blanket statement. Consecration is the thought process that you go through. In other words, you set it into motion as an act of your will. It's that for anybody who's ever been in any kind of addiction, any type of destructive cycle, it is that two to three second moment between the time that you consider it and the time that you actually do it. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? That's consecration. Now, unfortunately, you can get to the place where you have short-circuited because you have overrode that thought process for so many times, your mind doesn't even go there anymore. That's a sad state. And it becomes automatic. Boom. Thought, you're doing it. Thought, you're doing it. But thank God for his grace. That even whatever area of your life that you may be experiencing that, you think it's hopeless, it's not. God's grace is there. His empowerment is there. He is committed to work in you, to get you to the place where you're back to that place of consecration again. I think about the story of Joseph, Joseph in the Old Testament. I gotta do this real quick because there's something else I wanna share with you. Joseph in the Old Testament, horrible life, very mis- mistreated terribly. After he was sold into a slavery, he was brought to Egypt, he was mistreated. At one point in time, he had an awesome opportunity. He had proven himself faithful. And one of, one of Pharaoh's rulers, one of his managers or supervisors, if you want to use that terminology, literally gave Joseph the entire uh, control over his household, over his wealth, over everything that he had. That's how much Joseph had proved himself. Potiphar, this man's wife, had his eyes on Joseph. Joseph's a young man, good-looking man, talented, full of wisdom. And she's determined that she's gonna seduce this young man. And I can't go through the whole story, but at one point she traps him and she takes hold of his clothing and she's begging him, come and lay with me, come. And he says, how can I do this to God and how can I do this to my master? You see what happened there? He had a thought process of consecration. He didn't automatically say, hey, nobody's gonna know. I'm ruler over everything anyway. The only person I am answerable to is my master, and he's not home. Let's go for it. 
their thought process got triggered. How can I? In other words, he had such a sense of respect and honor for the position that he'd been placed in that he would not even let his mind go there. His mind automatically went into the mode of honor, reverence, consecration, respect. He did not sin. Now, I'm sitting at my desk a few days ago, beginning of the week, and I'm beginning to finalize this series, asking the Holy Spirit, is there something else, is there anything else that I should be including in this? Because I want to talk to him like he's a real person, because guess what? He's a real person. And he's in charge of the church on the earth. He's my boss. He's the one I'm answerable to. He's Jesus' agent on the earth. Jesus is the head of the church. The Holy Spirit is the administrator of the church. I like my job. So I check in with home headquarters. Holy Spirit, is there anything else I need to be adding here? Is there anything else? I'm sitting here and I'm just meditating, just thinking about it, just thinking about it, just quiet thinking about it. And I hear this. Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord's going to do miraculous things in your midst. And I went, oh my God, that's from the book of Joshua. And as soon as I, as soon as I said that in my head, it's a book, it was like, it was like, I know nobody uses Rolodexes anymore, but it was like, you know that noise that a Rolodex went click, 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 click. Everything just went, I went, oh my God. Consecration and sanctification always precedes a miracle. Immediately my mind went to the Israelites in, in, in the book of Exodus. They're in bondage and slavery for 430 years. Crying out to God, crying out to God, crying out to God. God sends a deliverer, Moses. It's a series of plagues. God is judging all the gods of Egypt to show the Egyptians and Pharaoh, I am way more powerful than these things that you've been worshiping. So, so the plagues were really God's mercy towards Egypt to give them the opportunity to repent and to come to the God, God Almighty. The last plague is the death of the firstborn. Passover. God gives instruction to Moses to give instruction to the Israelites and says to them, take a lamb, slaughter that lamb at twilight between late afternoon and evening, slaughter the lamb, take of its blood, put it on your doorposts and the lentils, which, which coincidentally form a cross. Okay. And when the angel of death comes to the land of Egypt, when it sees the blood over your doorposts, it will not affect you. What did God do? He sanctified them. He set them apart. And that brought protection. And the angel of death was not allowed to go into the homes of the Israelites. Sanctified them so that a miracle could take place. Forty years later, they've gone through the Red Sea. They have spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. At the end of that 40 years, they come to the border of the promised land. The Jordan River is there. Joshua is now in charge of the people of God. Joshua receives instruction from God and then gives instruction to the Israelites and says to them, on the night before they were going to cross the Jordan to face Jericho, 
that battle that would prove the entrance into the, into the promised land. God gives instructions to, to Joshua and says, tell the priests to take the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was that golden box that God had instructed them to construct. And in there, they were gonna put the original Ten Commandments and some other things. And he, he promised that his presence would abide over that. And if you've ever seen pictures of it, it's a long box and then there's two angels with their wings touching each other. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, some of you do. So God says, tell the priest to take that piece of equipment, that piece of furniture, whatever you want to call it, and tell them to walk into the middle of the Jordan River. The Jordan River at this point in, in the season is flooded. This is at the, the, the end of the rainy season. The Jordan River is in flood stage. And God tells them, tell the priest, take that thing, go walk into it. As, and the Bible tells us that Joshua gave instruction to the people the night before sanctify, consecrate yourself, because tomorrow you're going to see God do phenomenal things. What happens? As soon as the priest's feet touch the river, the river splits. And they walk over on dry ground again. What preceded the miracle? Sanctification. 1,500 years in the future from that point. Jesus is sitting at a table with his disciples. He's getting ready to do the most marvelous miracle that could ever happen between God and man. He is getting ready to go to the cross on the next day. Within 24 hours, he's going to go to the cross. He's going to suffer. He's going to be tortured. And he's going to give his life. But in giving his life, he's going to purchase salvation for you and I, the greatest miracle that you and I could ever experience. And what does he say at that last supper? In John chapter 17, he prays a prayer and he asks God to sanctify us. Consecration and sanctification always proceed a miracle. When God begins to draw your heart to begin to consecrate yourself, to begin to set yourself apart, when he starts dealing with you about, I really don't want you involved in that conduct anymore. I really don't want you entertaining those thoughts anymore. I really don't want you speaking about these kind of things anymore. I, don't, I want you to start separating yourself more and more from the natural things around you. I want you to start separating yourself more and more. I want you to distance yourself from the person you used to be, and I want you to start drawing closer to me so that I can make you into the person I want you to be. He is setting you up for a miracle. Do not resist God's drawing. Do not resist the Holy Spirit pulling you and tugging on your heart to bring you to a place in God that you have not been yet. Maybe it's a place where you were once, but whatever happened, happened. You have pulled back that which you once had committed to God, you may have pulled back. Let me ask you this question. In your natural thinking, in just in natural life, do you, is there any area of your life that you now think way different than you used to 10 years ago? Amen. Of course. Of course. Okay. Well, let me ask you this question. Um, as a Christian, was there a time in your life that you can identify areas in your life right now that at one time you had them totally committed to God and sin, don't raise your hand, and since then you recognize, Wow. I entertain a whole lot more stuff and garbage and tolerate things now that I never would have 15 or 20 years ago or five years ago or two years ago. And that's an area that God is pointing out to you. 
that needs to be brought back under his consecration. This is not a message of guilt and condemnation. This is a message of freedom. This is a message of liberty. Because any area in our life that we had previously at one time had completely committed to God, and then somehow or another we took it back from him, that area is going to cause us to go into slavery and go into bondage and go into darkness and go into instability, and it's always going to cause frustration in our lives. The greatest way to experience the peace of God again in that area is to take it and bring it back to God and say, I am so sorry that I took this back. And none of us realize we're doing it. Nobody wakes up one morning and says, you know what, today I think I'm just going to sin and just do everything contrary to God. I think I'm just going to totally take my whole life back from God. Nobody does that. It's a process, very subtly, that happens over a number of years. And then one day you wake up and you realize, I'm watching stuff I got no business watching. I'm saying things I have no business saying. I am thinking about stuff I have no business thinking about. I am conducting myself in ways I have no business doing. I have totally, totally turned from the ways of God. I'm not saying that every one of us are in that position. But what I'm saying is every one of us need to keep ourselves aware and to, and to on a continual basis, keep coming back to God and keep asking the Holy Spirit to help us to inventory of our lives so that we make sure that every area of, these, of our lives that we are aware of at this point in time, that we make sure that we're submitted and consecrated and that we have placed him at the feet of Jesus and that he is Lord, he is master over all. In other words, he has the final say in every one of those areas in our life. Do you see how important this is? It's not a matter of whether you're going to heaven or not. That's settled at salvation. It's a matter of what kind of life are you living here and what kind of reward do you have to look forward to in eternity. See, we don't get much thought about that. We just say, you know, we're so caught up in life here. And life here in the future, when we are in eternity, we're going to go, earth? There was an earth? We lived on earth? It's not even going to be, it's not even part of our thought process anymore. So, So what kind of eternity do you want? What quality of life do you want in eternity? Because you see that God doesn't decide that, you decide that. I'm not talking about destination. I thank God I'm going to be in heaven. But you know what? 75 million years from now, in eternity, will I regret that I didn't make some of the changes that I could have while I was on this little piece of dust in the universe? Will I regret the decisions and the change that I resisted God working in my life? Will I, re- will I regret that? And that's something we need to be aware of. It's something we can change now. It's something we can allow God to work in our hearts now. Are you listening? Would you stand up, please? I know I've gone over quite a few minutes in this service, and and in all fairness and respect to the people that are coming to the next service, I've got to wrap this up as fast as I can. But you can't sit through this kind of message without having an opportunity to respond. You can't have sat through three parts of this series and come to this point 
and just, okay, well, this is a good thought. Let me walk away. We have to respond. So I want to do this as, as fast as possible, but I want it to be as effective as possible. And in order for it to be effective, I have to give you an opportunity to respond. Because if I don't give you an opportunity, if I don't give you some action to take, you're going to walk out of this place, and your soul now is going to feel like, ah, I got away with it. You know what I'm talking about? So, very quickly, we're all family here. This is not something to cause anybody guilt, not to, not, to, not to cause anybody embarrassment. We have all been somewhat to the point that I talked about at some time in our lives. Let me ask you this question. I'm not going to ask you to close your eyes. I'm not going to ask you about your head. Do you recognize that there are areas in your life that at one time were under God's complete control? He was Lord over those areas. And you recognize, I've let them slip. Let me see your hand right now. Let me see your hand right now. Okay, put them down. I'm praying for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord God, for every person that raised their hand, and Lord, for the ones that should have raised their hand, just couldn't do it. You're merciful. You are gracious. Now, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, as I pray for myself also, that you would allow the Holy Spirit to come and do a very deep work on the inside of us. Father, that the Holy Spirit would, would, would just come and shine the light. Lord, we know that you'll do it in mercy. We know that you'll do it graciously. We know that you'll do it because of love, that you are love. And you never do anything to embarrass us and never do anything to harm us. But Lord, will you please assign the Holy Spirit to come and shine the light in any area of our lives, Father, that is displeasing to you, that has gotten out from your influence, Father, that you have no longer lordship in that area, that we may, as an act of our will, consciously bring that area or areas to you. And as an act of our will, Father, say, Lord, please, be master again, be Lord again over this facet of my being. Don't leave me like this. Don't leave us in these, with these areas out from under your influence, Father. We want to be completely consecrated unto you, spirit, soul, and body. Father, by faith, we receive that act of your grace. We look forward to change. We look forward to revelation. We look forward to the light shining in us so that we can eliminate the darkness that has crept in. We want you to have full reign in our lives. We want you to occupy the throne of our hearts. And so we invite you to do that, Lord. We trust you. We are confident, Father, that you will set that process in motion. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's word. If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the giving tab. We hope to see you soon.